Hello, as usual, I am Jamie from Stonemeyer Games, and today I'm joined by two special guests to talk about a topic inspired by these two guests. This is Kevin and Carol. Um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves, and then we'll jump into our list about our favorite games that have strong written narratives, so written story, um, and particularly, I kind of focused on memorable narrative in, in my list, a narrative that I can go back and remember specific story beats along the adventures that I've had in these games. Carol, let us know who you are and why you proposed this topic for the conversation. All right. Well, I'm Carol. I've been a Stomai ambassador for a couple of years. I do some play testing, and you might have also seen me for almost a year now on the mill with Dusty and Molly. So I want to do this topic because I absolutely love storytelling, whether it's drawings, photography, the written word. I love it. And I especially love when people can create a whole universe like Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere or Ryan Lockett's Azarium. I just... There's something about just gain escaping into those worlds that I find fascinating. And it's one of my favorite types of board games. And my first honorable mention will actually be the one that caused my whole addiction to board games. And that was a narrative-based one. Cool. I'm curious to see what you'll what you'll say about that one. Kevin, why don't you let, let everyone know who you are, your connection to Still My Our Games, and why you chose this topic. Hi, uh, Kevin Emmons. Uh, some people might know me on TikTok as Mr. E Games. Shameless plug, uh, where I do uh, setup videos. But my connection is to Meyer, I'm also an ambassador. Uh, you may have seen me at Gen Con working as a game demoer in past Gen Cons for Stonemeyer. Had a great time teaching a lot of their, their product line with my wife as well, Mrs. E. She's a fellow game teacher at Gen Con. Uh, I chose narrative type element games because my other passion from board gaming is theater. I act, I direct. Uh, to try to, you know, lighting, tech, everything I can get involved in with theater I've done in some fashion. And that whole element of storytelling is is critical within that realm. And then I find when I sit at the table, I just can't stop doing that. So when I'm playing games with my gaming group, any games that pull in some sort of backstory or allow us to drive our characters, uh, it, it, just, it just grabs my interest even more. It makes me want to immerse myself into that universe. I love it. I, I love all those reasons for talking about these games. I do have a previous list that I'll link to in the description of the video about games with written narrative. I talked about that topic a little bit today. Like I said, I spoke, I focused specifically on memorable narrative, narrative that has really stuck with me and I don't have a good memory. So if it stuck with me, that means something. Um, I look forward to hearing your honorable mentions. I did want to mention before we jump in that Stillmeyer Games does have a few games that have some written narrative. Uh, Charterstone has some written narrative. It's not heavily narrative, but it does have some narrative. I can see it behind Carol that white box on, on the shelf. And then yeah. Scythe, The Rise of Fenris has quite a bit of written narrative. That is the third expansion to Scythe, the campaign expansion. There it is for Carol as well. Yeah. Uh, most of that narrative is written by, it's inspired by Jakob Rosalski, his world building. It's written by Ryan, my co-designer. So let's jump into honorable mentions. We'll just go, we're going to do brief honorable mentions and we're going to try to linger on the games that we're talking about because I think we probably have lots to say about our top three. So Carol, what are your honorable mentions for this category? All right. Um, I have three. I do have one that, as I said, has a little story. And I would be remiss to not mention Near and Far. As I said, this was the game that got me absolutely addicted to board games. I loved the narrative nature of it. I love that you could do one-offs. My husband and I played through both of the campaigns, uh, like two campaigns of just the character. And then I got the cooperative expansion so I could start playing with my younger son. Well, no, it was my older son, but he was younger at the time. And I have, as you said, those memories. I have so many memories of just understanding what a modern day board game could be. So while it's not my favorite narrative board game anymore, it is the one where if that board game didn't exist, I might not be in this conversation today. So it is a very soft spot in my heart. The other two that I'll briefly mention are Clank Legacy, um, which is humorous. And then uh, the other one I've only played once, which is why it's an honorable mention. And that's the Witcher Old World, which just really, very that the reason that one I find intriguing is because it's not a campaign. So a lot of cool narrative elements without a campaign, but I've only played it once, so I can't go on a list yet. I'm glad you mentioned that. I think uh, Kevin has one game that I don't know much about, so it might fall, fall into this category, but uh, 
that is interesting that most of these games end up being campaign games, but games don't have to be a campaign game to have great, immersive, memorable, written story in it. So if we think of any while we're talking today, because I my brain mostly went to campaign games, but if anyone, if you think of any others in that category, let me know while we're talking about it. Uh, Kevin, what are your honorable mentions? Well, now I have to add one, because you said something that reminded me of an element that I... So your Rise of Fenris with Scythe, Mm. we started that pre-pandemic and then pandemic hit and the group has just disbanded we're halfway through the campaign um but what it really made me think about was before the group started i recorded that prologue as like audio narration and i sent it to everyone in my group and i said listen to this let's get started into this world and story so thank you for that little bit of narrative text that didn't even have to happen but Uh it really helped set a world and everyone just totally it was loved every aspect of the whole like it wasn't just it wasn't just a worker placement resource economic game anymore it was a world so that that was that was a nice little shout out there all right my other honorable mention i see uh, red raven games popping into our screens here today (laughs) uh we found red raven games at a little mini con of their game rome and love the artwork love the gameplay and there's even some little bit of story in that tiny little game and the only reason this is honorable mention and not in the top three is because I haven't played it yet. So a little like shelf of shame. We picked this up because we love everything else we've gotten from Red Raven Games. Rome. There's Rome. Yep. <laughs> I uh, might and have then... block it, thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I kept reading such over, over the moon reviews from other people saying how much they love this game, love the gameplay, love the story, and being a sucker for, again, narrative elements in games. And a sucker for Ryan Lockett's artwork. Um, this is this is in my list. So for my honorable mentions, Sleeping Gods is also in my honorable mentions. Very close to making the top three for my memorable category. I I I struggled a little bit to think of like specific story beats that really stuck with me. I I had I loved the grand adventure of it, but specific story beats I couldn't think of specific ones as I was thinking about this, so I didn't count it for memorable. But I do love Ryan's writing. I think his wife writes a lot in the books too, and I really liked in Sleeping Gods how he has long passages of passages of text. But if you want to skip the text, he includes like what you like a shorter version of what you really need to know to continue. Sometimes, you know, I, I love reading through the text, but there are times where I'm just like, okay, I want to get to the next thing. It's nice to have the summary uh, in, in games like that. Pandemic Legacy Season 1 is another honorable mention for me, mostly because I wanted to give Rob Davio a shout out somewhere on this list because I think Rob is an excellent writer. I love Rob's writing in games like Betrayal Legacy. Most of his games are legacy games, uh, but I but I just love the writing. I can I can tell, I can like hear Rob's voice as, as I'm reading his adventures. The Adventures of Robin Hood, I thought we had a great time with that. This is the, a game um, that's somewhat famous for having an advent calendar style board where you're popping things out and, or not, yeah, every calendar, and you're, you're popping things out of the board. Um, but the storybook looks and feels like an old book. Like it, it, it really is a book. It has these um, like ribbons where you mark pages in it. I, I really like the look and the feel of that. But again, I couldn't remember specific story beats from it. And last, I have Clank Legacy, which we might talk about a little bit later on one of these lists. Um, I'll talk about uh, a little bit more about it then when we, when it comes up then. So let's jump into our top three. Carol, what is your number three game for this category? All right. Well, my number three, slight cheeks, I'm choosing a whole world, but I'll specifically call out the legacy version. And that is Aeon's End and Aeon's End Legacy. Um, once again, memories. I played it through two player with my husband. I had a blast and that was the first time I ever played Aeon's End. I love in this one where your narrative is, it's not as detailed, but you have the, you're building your own story. You're building your own mage that you can use in any other and and like and and period. And then after legacy, they even continue the story of Zaxos, like the main kind of good guy initially there. And his story continues throughout a bunch of their standalone expansions afterwards that aren't legacies. And actually my son, Anthony, he, I introduced that to him when he was like six or seven, because it was co-op and that was his favorite game. He was addicted. So he is my aunt and just buddy. He wants me to get another reset. He wants to play the legacy again, but he has played, I have half of it. I own all of Aeon's and at this point. So like half of it's in the basement, but he's played through two other expansions with me through their expeditions where they had treasures. 
But even if it's not a legacy, it's still telling a story. You're pulling different mages out. You're pulling out a different boss to fight. You're pulling out different artifacts and then some of the later ones, different treasures. So each time you're creating this new story as you go through it with one another. And one of the later ones, my son got this, it's like a rose thorn. And so he has these special cards in his deck. And it's like these thorns that are from roses that keep building up and doing special effects. And I still have this memory of him just loving that character and wanting to play him over and over again. And it just made these games just feel epic with that epic boss fight, but they're different every time. So, and then I love that. Yes. in the legacies and some of these other ones later, there is a official storyline, but you still have a story, even if it's not in the legacy, we're only one game into the second legacy game. And in that one actually starts the branching path. You can go one way or the other. And you do that right right at the beginning. So I'm curious to see where that one ends up because we haven't finished it yet. Kevin, have you played any of these versions of Anzen? Uh, both. Um, but my my wife and I got a copy of Anzen Legacy from a friend who played with his son, and they only used two of the four characters and played it through. And then I was like, I want to give this a try. So he says, go ahead, enjoy it. Uh, and so we played it through. I'll be honest, gameplay-wise, the Legacy version of Aeon's End was not as satisfactory as regular Aeon's End, but the story was. Um, we felt like the characters we had built in the Legacy were kind of pigeonholed and were not very successful, and we didn't have any way to sort of mitigate that problem. However, um, it was the following Gen Con, uh, I was at the, the Indie Boards and Games booth and they had released the New Age expansion, and then that one, it's, it's not a full-on campaign, it's more episodic, there's still that story element and then you pick your mage every turn. So now I'm like, oh, I can go back and redo this one with this other mage that I know is a little better skill set for this boss monster. I, I enjoyed that process much more with, with Aeon's End. I was going to say the episodic ones. Those are the ones my son and I played afterwards that were really cool. Nice. So I, I, I've only played the legacy version and I, I must admit, I don't remember much about the written narrative at all. I remember specific unlocks and certain reveals, certain um bosses but i don't remember much written narrative so it's neat to hear that that has stuck with um has stuck with you uh kevin you want to go to your number three my number three absolutely this game does not necessarily the way it normally comes retail have a lot of narrative text built into it a lot of it comes in the imagination and that is final girl so with final girl you need this core box and then you need some sort of an episodic box that looks like a VHS that you pull right off the shelf. Uh, and this is going to have a location and a heroine. And the box literally comes apart and there's a villain. The other side of the box comes apart and there's your location. And the beauty of the design is you can get different episodes and mix and match. So you can play any villain in any location you want. You're building your own story, your own horror-themed movie if you will or or book or story or element so you're you're trying to see if you can defeat this villain and most of them are inspired by classic tropes i mean the this one right here the uh the happy trails horror is definitely a friday the 13th inspired there is stuff that's based off the thing there's stuff that's based off of saw and there's there's i know they just released a third season but the amount of narrative text isn't there's not a lot in the core game which is fun by itself as a solo experience but they did release separate a feature film rule book that allows you to uh, to have preset story elements and say, pick this villain with this location, with this hero one, and here's a little bit of backstory. Now go with these special rules. And then they also released for every location a set of gruesome deaths. So the core part of this game is, is defeating the villain, but also saving as many innocent bystanders as possible. Unfortunately, you're not going to be successful every time. So these books take care of that narrative element. When you are not successful and someone has to kick the bucket, then you just go in here and you find a villain and you find a location and say, this is this is what happened. This is the stupid choice that they made by not running away or you know going out into the woods by themselves. And uh, you, you definitely get a sense of the people who wrote this love the genre. And they put every little subtle nuance from an episode or a movie or something into this narrative text. So you feel like you're, you're, you're a part of that story as opposed to just imagine it in your head. You can kind of get that story part as well. Carol, have you played this one? 
Um, I've not. I know of it very well, and I think the system's interesting. Uh, it that it, horror is the one theme I just can't. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it was inspired by another game called Hostage Negotiator, yeah. which I've not tried. Um, enjoying this game as much as I do, I'll probably go and get you know try to find a copy of that and play that as well. But yeah, I just I love the story parts of these. Cool. I've not played it, so I can't comment on it. But but I. I love what you described about it and how they've added layers of story through um, the the packs that you share that you showed off here. That's Final Girl, Kevin's number three, with the Lawrence Neri book and Gruesome Deaths book. Um, my number three is Legacy of Dragonholt. One of the reasons this stood out to me is that the game is almost only written text. There's a big map that you can put on the table, but most of it is most of the action takes place in one of several storybooks. Um, there's there's a town storybook where you're reading through that that storybook as you visit different places on the town and time matters in the game so if you visit the tavern too early in the day the tavern won't be open and they'll say come back when you're when the time track is on four instead of one um and that similar element of time carries over into the the scenario storybooks as well where you have a limited amount of time you can't do everything and as you're going along the story is constantly checking in with that time and telling you to advance time or, or or seeing how much time has passed so far. And in that way, I found I, one of the reasons it's been so memorable is that everything feels high stakes because of that timed element. When I'm when I figure out a task that I need to do in Legacy of Dragonholt, I know that I have a limited amount of time to do it. And one of the most memorable scenarios that I that I went through in this game uh, I, I ran out of time and I didn't get to a place that I needed to be. And the stakes were, the stakes kind of really did prove to be really high. Like I, I, I won't say what I needed to happen, but I didn't do the thing and someone paid the price for it as a result. And that really stuck with me. I also think the writing is really, really high quality. I think it was a combination of a few different, a few different people who actually did the writing, but I just, it was a delight to read through and read to other people. I've, yeah, I've even put this game on a list of like games that you could play in the car because you could have someone reading the book in the car. There's no, there's really nothing that you need on the table other than the map sometimes. But uh, yeah, I've I've had a great time playing Legacy of Dragonhold. Have either of you played this one? I love it. No, yeah, yeah. okay. I've played the whole thing. And what's interesting, that part that you're mentioning that was memorable, I think I did get there in time. Oh, you did? Oh, nice. Uh, but like there's a whole booklet scenario. I never came up in my campaign. Yeah, and I'm wondering if because I got there in time, like that booklet just uh, didn't ever come into play. So yeah, that one's really, yeah, you're completely right. The narrative writing and that's spectacular. I did when we had a long plane ride, I brought that just in case we needed something to do. Mm. And I grabbed like the first couple in case we needed something on the plane. Nice. No, I've, I've not played it. I've heard of it. And hearing the two of you talk about this, this is definitely going on the wish list now. Uh, it made me think there was a long road trip that my wife and I took one time and she's a huge Doctor Who nerd. Mm -hmm. And I found the uh, print and play free Doctor Who solitaire story game. And it kind of sounds like the same kind of gameplay. And I know you're supposed to roll dice. I would just, as I was in the past seat, have like a dice app, you know, and just roll it for her, but would read and she would make that decision. So the idea that this legacy of Dragonhold is something we could do on one of our long road trips, like, oh yeah, it's it's going on the wish list. Yeah, nice. So that's Legacy of Dragonhold at my number three. Let's go back to Carol for your number two. My number two is... Get the lid off this time. Tainted Grail. Mm -hmm. um, I love King Arthur lore. That's the, gosh, English teacher writer. I just, I love anything that's to do with lore. And this one in particular... I love the open world. It uses one of those card systems where you go to the location, you flip it over, you have to have a certain amount of energy to be able to travel. And it's almost a choose your own adventure in a sense that you choose locations you want to go to and they unlock, they unlock different story places. And then when you go into, you have this massive book and when you go to a location, you have to choose what you want to do. And then even within that, there's more choices and depending on what character you are, what you've chosen to level up. So there's a lot of character building and it's your choice on what traits you want your character to be strong with. 
And you get to choose that. And based on all of these decisions, you get access to different choices. And I still remember one of my early ones, I happened to go somewhere. And because I had my character who was really good with finding different plants in nature, I got this special plant. I'm like, oh, that sounds really familiar to something somebody wanted up at this location. And I got there and I got like this awesome, I feel like special unlock. So it made me feel really clever because I remembered it. And I think that was, it's really good. So while some people think it's kind of a slog with some of the parts, I find I really like it solo. And actually um, my husband was started it with me and then he got, wasn't for him after a couple of scenarios. So I just play both our characters so I can do a cool complimentary combo between them. And I just had fun building them up and making their choices. So it's very much, you find clues and you go on the different quests and there's a bunch of mini quests. So the story just keeps unfolding. There's so much of the world that you don't even know if you're getting to. So I'm about halfway through the first campaign and I have, I have a lot more to do. I also, I have like my little, I keep, um, so I love storytelling. So I actually kind of keep a diary as like one of my characters. So I remember what I'm doing in between plays. So that was one of the ones that that was like one of those little extra add-ons. So yeah, that is Tainted Grail. Uh, and they also make it very easy to stop whenever you want. Mm -hmm. So that's really nice since I have crazy kids and crazy life and I can stop it when I need to. Daryl, can you remind me, I've only played this once, and I remember this, the standout feature for the story for me were the dream sequences, but I can't remember much about them. Uh, is that a standout part of the narrative for you? or or? Um, It can be. It can okay. give you clues. So when you stop for the night, so you have to stop, mm -hmm. you have to eat some food to rest, and depending upon what location you're at, it there might be a dream. And so then each location in the back of the story part, if it has a dream, yeah. You can either read the dream or sometimes like if you're panicked, you have to read the nightmare <laughs> and there's like one character, he has to flip um, a coin and if he gets the skull, then he has to read the nightmare and both the dreams and nightmares can actually affect you, like your stats and everything. And they also can give you hints on, oh, maybe I should go to this part in this place. So they're, if they're in there, they're, they can be an integral part of the narrative. And that's, there is one specific one where there's kind of this relic that they make it sound like it's going to be really important later. And I want to say that one might have something in a dream that like kind of leads you like, oh, maybe you should go explore this part in this like square. I think what stuck with me about it, now that you said that, I appreciate you refreshing my memory, is that it made what would otherwise be maybe a little bit of a boring turn, a rest turn, yeah. really interesting because you're choosing where to rest, knowing that you might get a different element of the backstory. And like you said, mechanically, it might even impact you that as well. I thought that was fascinating that they, they added that choice to it. Kevin, have you played this one? No, and it is really high up on my wish list. Um, I almost, almost bought it, but then I told myself, no, I need to finish <laughs> Sleeping Gods. I need to finish... Uh -huh. Rise of Fenris, I need to finish my number two pick. Uh, but no, uh, Carol, you talked about the love of Arthurian legend, and I'm right there with you. I have, uh, against my wife's chagrin there, I have Excalibur hanging on my game room wall because I portrayed King Arthur in our theater's production of Spamalot. And so I insisted on having an Excalibur-looking sword that I could use as a prop, and I'm keeping that. She doesn't like it there. That's okay. It's <laughs> it's for me in my memories. But so yeah, I I want to read through the story. I've read most of the novelization of the Arthurian stories. I I love to play, especially hearing, I that that concept of taking a rest, but it's not just it's not just a, a pause for you yeah. that you actually have some choice to make. That's clever, and that That's makes me even more intrigued in it. Also really fun minis to paint. I know, I know. <laughs> Ooh, I taught you. <laughs> well, Kevin, you just alluded to your number two. So that was Tainted, Tainted Grail, Carol's number two. Kevin, what is your number two that sounds like you are still playing through this campaign? I am still playing through this. I'm playing this with my oldest uh, and two good friends. And that is going to be, we've mentioned it, Clank Legacy, Acquisitions Incorporated. Um, thoroughly love deck building games. Um, the, obviously dominion is the starter for a lot of people dominion is has got a lot of love in this house so deck building games i i want to try them 
and and see if I love them. And Clank as a game, I thoroughly enjoyed. Traditionally, I'm not much of a fantasy Rome fan. I'm more of a sci-fi Rome fan. And I find that I liked regular Clank and the fantasy Rome even more so than its sci-fi counterpart. And so then when I heard there was a legacy, and I think we got this right after my wife and I had finished Pandemic Legacy uh, and enjoy the whole process of a legacy game. So I, I dove in and got this. And, and what brought this into my top three was that it it does so many wonderful things with being a deck builder, being a campaign game, being a legacy game, but the narrative element where everything is written with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek humor. I feel like the the authors of this game appreciate Mel Brooks films, right? I mean, there there's going to be Spaceball fanatics and, and Robin Hood Men and Tights fanatics who wrote this game because there's that kind of playful humor. Um, and so with my game group, um, we we all are enjoying all the subtle little jokes and and references to. Well, I, I don't want to give anything away for people who haven't played this yet. So, yes, that that is absolutely my number two. So we're highlight, highlighted humor a little bit here, humor in the story telling. Carol, do you recall this? I think you played Clank Legacy, right? Oh yeah, he, yeah I yeah. would say like actual straight up legacy games as probably our favorite legacy game. It that's that storyline and humor is spectacular. Yeah. The thing that stands out to me in my memory, because this is on my, my honorable mentions list, um, I couldn't remember specific story beats from the story, so it didn't make my list, but I do remember the Mad Libs elements of it, where the, I think uh, like Mad Libs, I think is probably more of a craft than I give it credit for, because they you have to figure out the right places to leave those blanks. So it's, a Mad Lib still requires good writing from the author, and then those fun insertions of whatever words you put in there. Kevin, you, I hope you've got, like, I don't think that's a spoiler, but that's, it's no, no, story, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. As soon as you said that, there's definitely some cards that when you apply a sticker, mm -hmm. it, the first person who gets to grab that card gets to put whatever they want. And then that's permanent for the game. Yeah. 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 And, and it's, it's always something that's outrageous by one of my game players, but <laughs> I had a question for the two of you, because we were yeah. talking about legacy games. And I'm curious because I know my wife and I have two completely different viewpoints on this. And I'm curious what two, the two of you think. With a legacy game where things are destroyed, mm. do you destroy or do you not destroy? Do you tear the cards up or do you just tuck them away? We have, we keep a trash bag. Like a little, <laughs> I will say the first time, I think our, we were Charterstone and Pandemic Legacy Season 1 were our first two that we started simultaneously. And I want to say the first couple sessions we tore up, they were like, uh, so yeah, we have like an extra little like board game baggie and it says trash on it and we put the stuff in there now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the Legacy has a trash bag for, for the tariffs. <laughs> Jamie, do you destroy or do you preserve? Oh, I destroy. Yeah, I mean, if, if there's, if I have any confusion about whether or not I'm tearing up like the right card, I might hold on to it for a little bit. But usually if it's certain that, that, that I have the right card in hand, I tear it up. As a game publisher... I go through a lot of cardboard. It's just cardboard to me. Like it's special cardboard, but it's still cardboard. So I have no problem tearing it up at this point. Yeah. Gotcha. No, my wife is on the essence of, if it says trash, it really should mean archive. So <laughs> it just goes in the bottom of the box or in a separate little box for later. I like that. So that's Clank Legacy, Kevin's number two, one that Carol and I have had a lot of fun with as well with our respective partners. Um, my number two, is the only box that I actually have here, actually just the new expansion, Role Player Adventures. This was one of my favorite games of last year, maybe the year before, the year before, um, that Megan and I played through this campaign. Um, and this is the new expansion that I just got. I haven't played through this yet, though. So I can't speak to the narrative in here, but I'm sure it's just as good as the original Role Player Adventures campaign. Um, and I think one of the things I was trying to think of what made it really stand out to me, because I can remember certain story beats. It's one of these games that has a lot of consequences in it. The decisions we make have consequences later. So I think that's part of it, that we've made story-based decisions that the story helps us, like the, the, it comes back to, to haunt us or to help us later on in the written narrative. But I think it's also uh, that each of the scenarios in role players' adventures has its own uh, board, essentially, that you're playing on that's unique to that scenario. So the combination of the written story paired with a unique visual for that scenario, a unique visual that we actually interacted with, uh, helped 
uh, role player adventures really stick in my head and help some of those story beats. Like I, I can definitely think back to certain scenarios and in my mind's eye, I'm picturing the visual, but because the visual is paired with the narrative, it really stuck with me. Can either of you relate to that either with this game or other games where it's the pairing of a visual plus the written narrative that helped it stick with you? Yeah, uh, we're us and a couple friends are, I want to say we're four in, plus we've done the side quests. Uh -huh. I, hmm, oddly enough, have something over here that's just came <laughs> in like a couple days ago cool. um, as well. But yeah, that how it's that memory and those keywords and yeah, that one's a really good one. Um, even my youngest is really big on uh, Kids Chronicles Quest for the Moonstone, which is essentially their kids version of Chronicles of Crime. And mm -hmm. we were just playing a, a little addition to it yesterday. And it had something where it was having you look actually at locations, even for the kids mm -hmm. to try to figure out different codes or remember something from where you were. So that was a kind of a kind of cool to see something like that in a kids game too. Can you, can you think of an example like that too from the games you play? Uh, nothing's really striking me. I mean, obviously Chronicles of Crime does a great job of that. And I'll say with role player adventures, I have it. I see it on my shelf. And it's another one of those shelf of shames I haven't gotten to yet. And I got it because of my love of role player. Mm -hmm. um, so hearing the fact that you enjoy that campaign so much gets me really excited to get that to the table. Oh, yeah. um, but games that were the visual, I, I mean, I kind of think about some games where they did a really good job of marrying an app experience mm. to gameplay, things like um, Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, mm -hmm. you know, or uh, the games like uh, from Lucky Duck, like the Destiny series, yeah. or even um, what's the other one that I played recently that had a really good narrative? App? Oh, uh, My Father's Work. So where that map is changing as you're playing it, but the story is changing and the consequences you have here have ramifications for a later map. I think that kind of touches on that same element. Yeah. This also ties a little bit. I'll, I'll mention uh, The Rise of Fenris again. One of my goals with The Rise of Fenris was that every episode would have something, not just something dramatic happen, but dr something dramatic that you would unlock from that box. That like a, oftentimes a, a tangible tactile thing that you're unlocking to help you remember that this thing happened. This is how we found this X or Y as you're playing. Um, yeah, so role play adventures, my number two. I'm excited to hear your number ones. Carol, what is your number one favorite game with strong written narrative, strong memorable narrative in the in the game? Well, if anyone follows me on Discord where I always am, they probably uh, know this one. I'm gonna finally get this guy in the spotlight. Hey. Yep. <laughs> we're just gonna guilt you into playing all of these kevin <laughs> yeah. done. it's okay i'm having a break in theater for a little while before i'm directing my next show and i'm gonna get these games to the table nice yeah for me sleeping gods when we're talking narrative it's just the whole package for me it's has an easy to navigate map so <laughs> you have these well and you have the so you have the storybooks you have your map books and it's just you keep following the world so you can easily get to wherever you need to go and it doesn't confuse you so you can follow along you can focus on the narrative as jamie said it has like you can do the quick part of the narrative or you can do the lengthy part of the narrative which especially because this one you play a lot of camp a lot of different campaigns because there's no way for you to see even a large fraction of the world in one campaign and so like for instance you always start in the same spot so we don't need to read the full long story every time we restart a campaign mm -hmm. we're like oh okay which one cards do we need again all right now we can get started to what we're going to because i play this i really like this one two player because mm -hmm. no matter what you're playing as nine characters and it's easy to manage two player and it's easy to make decisions between one other person so this is one I really like to play. I think it would be too many characters solo, but so it has that narrative element to it, this massive open world. I have both the dungeon expansion and the Tides of Ruin expansion, which essentially just make the map bigger. But we also love, I do recommend if people play this one, so Kevin, when you do play it, I highly recommend buying a journal. Okay. You are going to get so many keywords and you're going to go to places and it's going to give you a keyword and you're like, I don't know that one yet. I don't know that one yet. And so we have a page for like every location in the, and every page in the map. 
so that when we go back to other campaigns, we can go and be like, where have we already gone? Where did we start a quest, but we didn't quite finish? Mm -hmm. So we have to go back there to get the thing to do more. And so it's just, we've already talked, the lockets are, are amazing storytellers. So you have that great story element, plus ease to actually get out, ease to save it. Um, so yeah, we've played five campaigns and may, I don't even know if we've seen a third of the world, maybe wow. a third, like it's huge. And it's just this rich story with different choices that change what you can do, which I love. Um, we start figuring out, okay, what's going to happen. And there's these different events that pop up. So the story just, I mean, it just keeps on going. Um, I love the clue system. I'm sorry. I'm making sure I look at my notes, but yeah, I think that, yeah, it's the pinnacle of what I love in a narrative game. I love being able to explore. I love doing quests. I love that not everything's a battle, but there is some of that because it makes sense. And then maybe if you went this other direction, you befriended these different type of people. So then you don't end up fighting them later. So it's just, yeah, there's just so many fun decisions that matter, but don't destroy your game. If you like make something different, if you make a different decision. So no matter what, you're not completely killing yourself unless you really want to play on a hard hardcore mode you can keep going and keep just exploring one one thing that that you might remind me of here carol is that uh i think the lockets do a great job with quirky characters yes. like with quirky especially the the people the characters that you meet a lot of them are, are unique and quirky and memorable because of how they're described in, in the narrative so I, I i love that i love that idea in, in these narrative games that uh, vanilla characters you're going to forget about within a few days but if you have these little quirky characters that keep popping up and it reminded me a little bit of a game that i love time stories that i didn't quite consider for this list because it's that it's the visuals and time stories that stood out to me not the narrative but there's in the original time stories there was this person who was sending you on the missions and the narrative presents him as someone who's not very likable and that became a memorable part of it that this this dude i forget his name now sam or somebody he was always calling us back and messing with us as we come back and he would always chastise us and having him be kind of a jerk made him more memorable made the writing more memorable in that game so i just wanted to highlight that element of characters and quirkiness and uh, yeah you mentioned that and i'm like there, i'm remembering and i said there's this one time we found a robot in this and mm -hmm. we kept getting injured because the robot was so loud we had to find a way of <laughs> the robot at one point and we're like what we thought we were doing something good and it's like yep this quirky robot now is just following us along in this boat i think we had a ghost <laughs> at one like it's all over the place but you're right it's just super fun characters and those are just the little companions we made mm -hmm. as we went along Kevin, any thoughts? I know you haven't played it yet, but it is trigger any. But any it just gets me yet? more and more excited. I I will say this is the like the one legacy is campaignish game that actually got my wife excited to try. Mm -hmm. So I've been saving this. I don't want to start this with anyone else, but just her and just the two of us. So for Carol, for you to say it's great two player, um, it gets me really excited to give this a try. So maybe that's this weekend's adventure is some sleeping gods. Megan and I also played a two-player. We really enjoyed it. The, I think the one catch, so Carol said it's easy to clean up. And I, I don't know if I would agree with that. We left ours on the table for a couple weekends as we played through it. But if you can get through it in one weekend, then you don't have to worry about that. But it does take up a lot of space on the table. Um, I, th I thought it was a little bit of a beast to clean up, Carol. I, don't, I think we left it under the table, so we didn't have to clean it up. I would yeah. prefer to be able to do that, but I didn't, like, knowing, like, Tainted Grail, that one takes me a heck of a lot longer oh, okay. to put away. Whereas my friend and I, we could get the resources real quick and the saving part yeah. that how they have you save it, that That's part fair. is yeah. faster. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff to put out. And so yeah. when we would do it, we would do like three hour sessions. We would get through one of the, cause there's essentially you're doing three, three hour sessions in a campaign, maybe a little bit shorter. And so we would try to do, cause we're both teachers. We would, we would do it on, summer on like thursday nights we would try to get through a full three-hour session and then it was much easier to clean up in that sense compared to other ones and just easy to save where you were sounds like we're gonna need to do a follow-up video after i've had a chance <laughs> to play this to confirm or deny these allegations of easy setup <laughs> easy teardown 
or maybe that's even another video games that are quick to the table <laughs> games yeah. that take forever well i love talking about sleeping gods carol thank you for bringing that up as your number one i'm going to spoil a little bit here and say that kevin's number one and my number one are the same game so oh. i want to hear kevin's thoughts and then i'm going to chime in with some of my thoughts and carol maybe you might have some thoughts too on that i think you've played this one as well kevin what is your number one okay number one is king's dilemma i'm not even sure who makes this oh um horrible guild yeah. king's dilemma game um i have not partaken of the um the, the universe but some friends of mine told me it is basically game of thrones as a game experience and in fact when i got it and i played it with my traditional board gamer friends that are really into euro type games they did not like it at all but then I went back and I played it with my my friends that are more friends that I know like playing RPGs, my friends that like playing Clank Legacy. We absolutely ate this game up. And the whole game is you have one story card that is the King's Dilemma. There is no king. It is an NPC in the story. And the king tells the story. This is something that's happening in our kingdom. And each of us are heads of houses, heads of states, heads of, of government agencies, whatever that may be. Uh, and we have to debate. The whole game is a debate session of trying to convince everyone else at the table, yes or no. Was there, are we going to do what the king wants or not the king wants? We're going to do yes for this element or no for this element. And ultimately, there's a hint, a small hint of what might happen. It could be completely wrong in terms of the legacy element on this card of what might happen to the kingdom. And that might sway your house to say one or the other, because you have this character with a backstory that has an ultimate agenda that no one else knows. Um, so you have all this in effect. We've enjoyed this so much that we've started to bring it out. I don't know where I hit it, but my wife made little placards for our table with our house names so we can make sure we're calling each other by our character names. Um, I know bourbon gets passed around at the table as well. So the, the night gets a little bit exciting as we play, but we have never walked away from a game experience of playing this. And I, I don't even think we're halfway through. And I know we've played lots of sessions um, and not had a good time and not wanting to keep talking about the choices that we made. Some of them were really bad for the kingdom. And yet we all swayed people through bribery or, or coercion to, to vote these ways. Um, so I've never experienced a game that could be like this ever before and had such joy being in that experience with my friends at the table. So this has to be my number one. And I think Kevin, if I, I, I'm gonna piggyback on what you're saying here a little bit. I think one of the things that stood out to me about it is that you know games can provide escapes in many different ways and sometimes part of that escape is being a little not, not intentionally being bad but exploring maybe a slightly darker side of yourself or of, of a reality and that happens in this game where you're presented with a tough choice and you you might advocate for some for an objectively worse side of that choice and the game gives you a safe space to do that and see where that takes you and I think that's one of the reasons this game is memorable for me because I, my my actually my character in the game or who I decided my character was going to be would be someone who would always look after the, the kingdom's best interests. But at times that was impossible. Like I didn't know which of the choices was actually better for the kingdom. And the, I know the other players around the table, some of them were having a blast just being bad, like choosing something <laughs> that was not good for the kingdom. Yes. And that made the whole experience memorable for all of us. If everyone had been doing the thing that I was doing, it wouldn't have been as fun, but given that people had so many different motivations, uh, made that story really, really shine. Yeah, yeah. I've just, I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens in the sequel of Queen's Dilemma. Yeah, because I, I can only imagine it be just as much fun as we've had with this game. Just to highlight, one of the mechanisms I think that make this stand out. Kara, I, I know you have some thoughts. I'll let you chime in in a second. I'm is sure. um, just the way the story works, Kevin described it a little bit, but you might have a card come up that comes up that gives you a choice, gives you a binary choice. Like the, there's a fire in the forest. Do you uh, commit some some wealth, uh, the kingdom's wealth, to fight the fire, or do you let the fire burn a little bit because you know there's some some gnomes in the forest that you're annoyed by? Um, that's this is not in the game. This is just a random ex example. And depending on the choice that you make, uh, oftentimes it's not just like here's the result move on to the next card. Oftentimes it unlocks a whole new set of cards that are the consequences of that. Like if that forest burned down and you burnt down those gnomes home, the gnomes might 
build up uh, an army to fight you. And there's a whole deck of cards that gets shuffled into those event cards about that. So I think the consequences, the ongoing stories in this game are not only just well-written, and I like how condensed they are because they have to be condensed into a single card, but also the consequences can be long-lasting for the campaign. I don't think this gives away too much of a spoiler, but here's one of the very first episodic cards. And I mean, that's that's it. You have yeah, a paragraph, mm -hmm. and if you say yes, you get a little bit of a clue of what might happen. If you say no, a little bit of a clue of what might happen, and all the rest is hidden on the back. Yeah. Um, it, I thought it was genius of an of a of a design from gameplay. So, Carol, we've talked a lot about it. Have you played this one? Oh yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought so. Of all random things, this was the one that we started with a couple friends over the pandemic with a camera above our table. Oh. So they were. They came over one weekend. We had just actually finished Betrayal Legacy with them. I gave them like half the components. I gave them, they picked out their houses and they took their house shields. And yeah, we started playing like that. The second half we finished in person and that and stayed overnight at their place and like knocked out the last five, six sessions in like one day. And that was a lot more engaging, but that's the game where I, gosh, I remember so much yelling, like, how could you do that? How could you put that? And the other person was like, I just wanted to put the sticker on the board. <laughs> and I was like, so there was one, as soon as you said it, the first word that came to my mind was bread. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm sure that word will just have like different connotations for people. But yeah, that is one that it's good engaging just yelling at each other so yeah we had a lot of fun with it we finally finished it probably about a year ago and also have the queen's dilemma on the way you said something there that that made me think of something carol you said i just wanted to be the one to put the sticker on the board mm -hmm. there have been so many times i've played a campaign or legacy game where i know i knew what i was choosing was not the way to win and I know this happened in Rise of Fenris, Jamie, that yeah. I chose something that would not let me win that episode just because I wanted to be the one that opened the box. I wanted yeah. to be the one that got to put the sticker on the board. You know, I'm doing the same thing in Clake Legacy. My character perished one whole episode just because I wanted to go to a specific location and put a sticker mm -hmm. down. And I was totally okay with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just like say, I did win our King's Dilemma campaign. Oh, yeah. So okay. I feel like they need to get me a crown. And that is one <laughs> we completely threw the box away when we were done. <laughs> That was one for me. I, I, in my group, it, there was some debate about it at the end. For me, there was the story and the choices we made along the way that mattered. I don't even remember who won. My motivation was not at all to win. It was to do all the fun stuff along the way. I'm glad you won, Carol. But that, that I can see <laughs> oh. how for some players, because you don't even know exactly until you get to near the end of the campaign what winning means or how to win. For me, that was completely fine. I can see how some people would be frustrated by that. But if you're along the ride for the story and the story that you are telling, I don't think that's a, a problem. Yeah. yeah, no, I definitely, we had no idea. And it was, we were completely fine with it. Yeah. So just having to work out in the end for me. <laughs> well, I hope they keep making games like this because it's, it's quite a fun experience to be able to share with your friends. I agree. While we were talking, I actually added to my honorable mentions list. So since I don't have a number one, since we already talked about King's Dilemma, the, the ones I'll mention are Summit. Summit is a game that has little event cards that have just a tiny bit of text, but I think that the text works really well. Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, I think is really well-written. Great narrative in there. You might encounter some long passages, some short passages. And Oathsworn is one that I, that's the, this is the only game where I, instead of playing through the campaign, I read through the campaign and had a blast reading through it because it it's a really really well written storybook and oath sworn i would not say it's worth the purchase it's an expensive game for just the story but i think it's a great story if you have access to that storybook and just want to spend a, re a weekend doing kind of a choose your own adventure i've loved talking about this topic with you too I, I love your enthusiasm for the written word and for narrative do you have any closing thoughts before we sign off for the day uh, in our in our conversation, you reminded me of another game, and I'm surprised I did not put it in my honorable mentions because I can see it right here, and it's nothing but story and narrative, and that is Fog of Love. Have either of the two of you oh, had a chance yeah. to play Fog of Love? Yeah. And again, it's sort of that kind of role-playingness. Um, I was a game I did not think I would like at all, and I went to my friendly local game shop, and the owner of the game shop had got it in, wanted to play it, and his friends, again, were like, I don't want to play a relationship game. Uh -huh. So he and I sat down and we played the first episode together of it. 
and it was so much fun and and being able yeah. to take on a character and make decisions that again not that you would ever do but this right. character is going to do this and find <laughs> out what happens and and reading through some of the writing in that and some of the um the dates that they scenarios that they throw you into um mm-hmm. is is cute and clever uh, but it also i think has a lot of wholesomeness to the game mm-hmm. as well yeah and i think you're right Kevin. this is one that i i think is great to play with friends instead of your partner for some reason i, I think it just works <laughs> yes. better that way yeah yeah when um my my wife's younger boy he graduated high school we went on a little like weekend up north with him and his friends and his bestie mm-hmm. from like when they were little we had the two of them sit down and play this game together and it was adorable watching oh, the two of them get engaged and sing love songs <laughs> to each other whilst playing this this narrative card game carol do you have any closing thoughts Oh, it was, it's been fun. Yeah. I'm doing the same thing. I'm staring at my shelf. I'm like, Oh, journeys in middle earth. That's a fun one. Uh-huh. I'm, like, I'm excited for the new title blades to come out. That's more story driven. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, no, I said, just love a good story. I have my Is little there, um... story uh, partner just like kind of sneaking in over here, looking at <laughs> us. <laughs> Is there any any sort of secrets, JB, that maybe you could do a hint at that? Because I know Charterstone has some narrative text elements to it, and Rise of Fenris had some. Is there anything maybe in the Stonemaier <laughs> universe that might have more narrative components? I I, I am working on a, a big cooperative open world game that does have narrative elements to it. I've tried to be very intentional about taking more of the, um, the King's Dilemma approach with it, of having... Mm-hmm short but hopefully memorable hopefully evocative text to it uh it is it is not a game where you're reading through long paragraphs of text it's a, a lot of shorter text it is a lot of text but it's short text little little bits at a time little bites yeah okay. yeah very cool well thank you both I, i've loved talking about this if anyone's watching this and i hope you are i'd love to hear your favorite game with memorable written narrative featured in the game uh, feel free to mention campaign games, non-campaign games. Let me know your favorites in the comments below. Or if you have a favorite among the games that we mentioned, let that, let us know what you love about that game. Carol, Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. And I'll let you know when the video goes live in a month or so. Thanks for having us. Take care.